Hello again, and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. What you heard there in the beginning was the warning siren that is used outside of San Onofre, uh, two nuclear reactors down here in Southern California, and that was heard by people in the area two weeks ago. And wouldn't you know it, all I had to do was ask for it, and the San Onofre people sent me a recording of the uh, siren. So until such time as I get tired of it, I'm going to keep using it. My name is Libby Halevi, and the reason I do this program is that I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. This program is my citizen activist response in the wake of Fukushima to lend my voice to the growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. Today is Tuesday, November 15, 2011, Day 249 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. And here is the latest nuclear news. There are reports of radioactive dust in Europe. Uh, this is radioactive iodine-131. And thus far, the countries where this has shown up are Germany, Sweden, Austria, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland, and Denmark. There's no report of where the radiation is coming from. There have been various attempts to blame it on Pakistan, on Russia, on the Czech Republic, and on Fukushima. But thus far, there has been no conclusive evidence as to where it is coming from. And what makes this so um, upsetting is that iodine is always a marker of a fresh nuclear release. And um, we'll keep you up to date on where that's coming from as soon as we find out where that is. In the what are they thinking and how could they think it category, uh, Virginia's North Anna Nuclear Power Plant gets the okay from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to go back online. And the NRC, in its uh, PR wisdom, released the story late on Friday, 11-11-11. Not only was it um, a spiritual day for some people, but it was also Veterans Day. So in other words, they buried the story so that it wouldn't appear. But this is the nuclear reactor, the two nuclear reactors, both over 30 years old, that were shaken by the earthquake on the East Coast on August 23rd. They were shaken to twice their design specifications. And um, what happened was that uh, Dominion, the company that uh, owns and operates the plant, had one of the two nuclear plants examined, and they complained that they spent more than 100,000 hours and $21 million in inspection, testing, and evaluation on the power plant. And they still only did one of the two. And on that basis, the NRC decided, okay, well, one of them is good, two of them must be. Now, enter, uh, excuse me, Dominion does admit that the plant did experience some quote-unquote cosmetic damage, ranging from small buckles and cracks in tile floors in one of the technical buildings to bolts of large metal parts that transfer power from transformers to the electric grid and into homes. The quake also caused 25 massive nuclear storage containers at the plant to shift up to four and a half inches. These are the dry casks that store the uh, spent nuclear uh, the fuel rods. Uh, NRC officials said that they in, that uh, Dominion initiated the restart process this past Friday, the 11th, for one of the reactors, and Dominion says it expects it will take about 10 days for the plant to become fully operational, which gives people in Virginia 10 days to decide whether they really want to live there anymore. Now, 
in two related stories, Canada is reporting that the first debris items from the Fukushima uh, and the tsunami, Japanese tsunami debris field are starting to show up that the largest items swept out to sea following the Japan tsunami in March could arrive on the British Columbia coastline within days. And actually some of the ships out in sea have found the first of the um, uh, first boats and the first evidence of the debris coming there. Uh, the main part of the 20 million ton debris field, equivalent to the size of the state of California, isn't expected until about 2014. But houses, fish boats, and even small freighters could already be close to the Canadian shore. This is a this is by um, an official from uh, Canada. We just finished running a simulation with a drifter, a buoy that got lost in the area of the tsunami, and we find that the first of the debris would be here now. A map of the dispersion pattern is up on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook site. And it seems that the debris field, the bulk of it, is about 100 miles west of the Marshall Islands. And in this related story, U.S. Senator Maria Cantwell, a Democrat in Washington, is actually paying attention to that debris field. She said uh, she well, it is that she recently inserted an amendment into a Senate bill that instructs the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration to come up with a contingency plan for what could be the biggest onslaught of marine garbage ever to hit North America. Cantwell told her Senate colleagues, it will take the U.S. many years to continue to see the impacts of this. Whole communities were swept out to sea in an unwieldy mass of toxic debris. We can't wait until all of this tsunami trash washes ashore. We need to have an aggressive plan on how we're going to deal with it. Good going, uh, Maria Cantwell. Um, left unchecked, the debris could threaten multi-million dollar fishing, shipping, and recreational industries 5,000 miles from Japan. And according to the senator from Washington, the feds must adopt a plan, then devote the necessary resource to e resources to ease the economic and environmental impact of 20 million tons of trash headed our way. I would hope California would kick in because once that stuff hits, there goes the beach culture. Further news from the United States, uh, Kansas has detected iodine-131 in the grass at over 2,000 picocuries per kilogram. Now, it's attributed to Fukushima. This registers as 700% higher than the highest levels reported by UC Berkeley. And this is in Kansas. It was a reading that took place on April 15th. Whereas at the same time, uh, the highest detection of iodine-131 in grass by UC Berkeley on April 3rd was uh, 268 picocuries. The important thing here is this Kansas grass had 7.7 .7 times more radioactive iodine than grass from the San Francisco Bay Area at the exact same time. My question is, we are here in November. Why are we only getting the April readings now? In Idaho... The Idaho National Laboratory, a U.S. Energy Department nuclear research site in eastern Idaho, said last Tuesday that 17 employees have been exposed to plutonium. They were working inside the zero-power physics reactor when a container was open for scheduled work resulting in contamination. There was a second accident at this exact same site later in the week that they said it was uh, following a chemical reaction that was not radiological and posed no risk to the public. Now, I want to point out that this was in an uh, experimental salt 
uh, an experimental re uh, reactor that was cooled by sodium. And uh, the resulting uh, reaction, when it takes place, can range in magnitude from a flash to a full explosion. What's significant about this being an experimental sodium reactor is that up here in Southern California, it was discovered that the worst nuclear accident ever to take place in the United States was not Three Mile Island. It took place at the Rocketdyne Laboratories in Simi Valley, which is just far north Los Angeles in the foothills, back in 1959. And it was an experimental sodium reactor. So why they're still messing around with these things, I don't know. The one up here had a full meltdown of one-third of its fuel rods. Uh, and then the officials hid it for 20 years until some of Dan Hirsch's students at UCLA dug it up. That just gives you a little taste of what's going on in a very busy nuclear week. But right now, I am really excited to introduce our guest for today. Ernest, or as he prefers, Ernie Goyton, holds a mechanical engineering degree and a, and a master's degree in physics. He worked for companies designing power plant equipment, boilers, condensers, cooling towers, before a 17-year stint with Bechtel in San Francisco. His last 10 years at Bechtel, he was project engineer for the Trojan Nuclear Power Plant in Oregon and project engineer for the Skagit Nuclear Power Plant in Washington. The good news is that he quit Bechtel in 1981 after attending a Black Hills conference on nuclear issues. He's been involved since then in many environmental campaigns, including the 10-year struggle to save Ward Valley in California, I believe it's California, from becoming a low-level nuclear waste dump. That struggle was 1990 to 2000. He's still way active here in California. Ernie, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. My pleasure. So let's start with the personal side of this. You were a nuclear industry insider. What made you, first of all, attend that Black Hills Conference on Nuclear Issues, and what happened at that conference to make you change your position so radically? Uh, well, what made me go were a bunch of uh, Native women from Arizona and Navajo who were talking about the effects of uh, the mine, uranium mining in their community. Mm-hmm. I don't know, has my voice come across clear? Yeah, yes, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then that's where I learned that there was going to be a conference in the, on the back hill um, near a farm of, of uh, Marvin Kemmerer. And so we camped out there for a week, and we had people from France, from Germany, from uh, Canada, um, all sorts of people with uh, good information about nuclear issues, and uh, it resulted in my changing my mind that I couldn't continue working in nuclear power with the effects of radiation, particularly on Native people from the mining, as well as uh, the potential of a disaster. Well, you know, there are many things we have discussed here on the podcast through the weeks, but we, I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm a media person. So could you give us a more in-depth perception, uh, perspective on what is the impact of nuclear power plants? Let's start with global warming. What relationship, if any, do you see between the nuclear reactors and global warming? Well, uh, the basic... Um thing that's not mentioned often is that the efficiency of nuclear power plants 
is about 20% lower than that of fossil fuel plants. Uh, that is because uh, the steam that goes through the turbine is saturated steam. That is the steam that comes off boiling water, even if it's at high pressure. That's about 540 degrees Fahrenheit. Whereas in a fossil fuel plant, that temperature is like 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that means it's superheated. And what's the steam that comes off boiling water is heated some more. And then it's reheated again halfway through the turbine. So that, in effect, the efficiency of a fossil plant can be as high as 56%, whereas a nuclear plant is more in the order of 35%. So that's a 20% difference. Where does that 20% go? Well, it goes into the environment. It's rejected into the water or the air, the rivers or the ocean. Uh, in effect, it adds to global warming and it results in climate change, aside from being harmful to fish and other marine life. So um, they, it is never mentioned that it has a significant effect, particularly if you consider that 20% uh, of all electric energy is from nuclear plants, 20% of 20% means 5% of all electric energy is rejected uh, to the environment from nuclear power plants. It's a significant number. I've never heard that before. Now, is this generally known, and uh, has this been the case ever since the start of nuclear power plants going online? Uh, yes. Of course, there weren't as many nuclear power plants uh, 40 years ago as there are now, but there are 104 plants running, so 104, 103. Um, it's not it's not discussed often. It's what is mentioned is there's no carbon emission, which is also not quite true because um, when nuclear power started, they used the gaseous diffusion system for enriching uranium, and that was only uh, uh, was not very efficient. So that about 25% of the energy. Uh, created in nuclear power plants was needed to uh, enrich the uranium. It, since then, um, the uh, centrifugal units are more efficient, quite a bit more efficient, so that's no longer a case, but it was a case for a long time. Now, the nuclear industry is fond of pointing out how, and I put this in quotes, safe nuclear energy is. Yet we know we know of the stories that we know about the many near misses and, unfortunately, the accidents that have made the headlines. But even though we're long past Halloween, what kind of scary stories can you tell us about major accidents that almost happened? The one I'm thinking of is the Davis-Bessie plant uh, for Toledo Edison in Toledo, Ohio. Um, you use a um, boric acid-enriched moisture to control the reaction, the neutron um, generation, uh, to, control, to control the reaction, basically. Well, on the reactor head, um, there was a leak in one of the small supply lines, 
and that leak was not detected. So the boric acid uh, solution ate into the reactor head and ate all the way through the uh, steel of the reactor head. And the only thing that stopped it, stopped uh, from a catastrophe, was a quarter-inch stainless steel liner which had bulged out through the uh, cavity that's been corroded. And if that had gone, it would have been a total disaster, not only for Toledo, but Lake Erie and who knows how far. Um, it was discovered during an annual inspection, but it must have been overlooked in earlier inspections. Right. That doesn't sound like the kind of damage that could be done in a single, in a single uh, year. Yeah. We're talking about uh, corroding through four-inch steel. So that 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 was a real near miss. Subsequent to this, at that same plant, uh, last year they discovered a series of hairline cracks at penetration into the head where the control rods go through. So they had to, last year they decided, well, they had to replace the head and they brought in a new head. To do this, they had to uh, put a big hole in the rea in the containment. It's a concrete containment. And um, and uh, they cut the hole, put the new reactor head in, the replacement head in, and sealed the hole. And now, as I think last month, they found cracks in the uh, concrete containment. So <laughs> one thing led to another. So that... Uh, the Davis Bessie accident, a potential accident, was really the worst uh, possible scenario that I could think of. And how long ago was that caught? Uh, that was in 2002 uh, when it was discovered. And the uh, the recent hairline cracks in the head were discovered uh, last year, October 2010. So what it, now we have an aging fleet of online uh nuclear reactors. Most of them are 30 years old or older. They were only designed for a 40-year lifespan even though the majority of them seem to be getting 20-year and 30-year license renewals from uh, extensions from the NRC. And I'm wondering what the impact of aging is on nuclear reactors. Well, the the most recognized uh, problem uh, potential problem is the embrittlement of the steel caused by the uh, neutron bombardment uh, that uh, makes it makes the steel more brittle. So if you have a uh, sudden thermal shock, like if you have a scram, uh, a scram. Can you explain what that is? Oh yes, when you, when you uh, um, push a button. And, in case of an emergency and the control rods come in and the reaction, um, the fission stops, that doesn't mean heat isn't still generated from heat decay, but the fission reaction stops. And uh, frequently it's also associated with a rapid cool down, that means temperature change, which um, in turn, causes stresses on that massive vessel, and that's a danger. It, it could 
uh, could uh, result in failures. Is there any way, while the reactors are up and running, to test for embrittlement to find out if uh, the seal is in danger of, of rupture or crumbling or whatever it's going to do if it, if it gives way? Uh, what they do is they use um, um, sample pieces of steel that they expose to that kind of uh, radiation and then uh, test those periodically and see um, how the embrittlement has changed. This is well documented. Uh, I mean, the degree of um, increased embrittlement. Uh, so we know it happened. Uh, how how much further we want to go, I don't know. But uh, it's not good to uh, extend it into the unknown another for another 20 years. Mm -hmm. I'm completely in agreement with you on that one. So the other one is um, the structure itself. Um, there's, the structure is um, is basically out of concrete, reinforced concrete, and concrete changes in time. It becomes stronger um, at first, of course, very rapidly for the first uh, 30 days or so, but then it keeps getting stronger which means that the way the building reacts to earthquake motions also changes. It's a complicated um, it's a complicated structure. It's a complicated analysis. Um, it doesn't mean that the structure would fail by any means, but it means how the uh, structure moves during an earthquake. And that makes a difference to the pipes and electric trays that are supported Inside the inside the structure, particularly at higher levels. At higher levels, it's a very delicate um, thing. These are long lines, and you've got to avoid uh, a resonance in the lines. That's like a violin string. You want to avoid that effect. And so there are snubbers and restraints of all sorts. It's a very tedious, um, long calculations in the design of the plant, um, well, that's all changing. I mean, the input of assuming a certain motion in the building is changing with time. Well, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just finish that thought because I have another one I want to shoot in here. I don't think this is ever uh, brought out or analyzed, but I think it's just, um, it could be, it could be, it could result in damage, and who knows where. Well, that brings up the point about North Anna, which two nuclear reactors, one's 30 years old, one's 32 years old, less than 10 miles from epicenter, shaken to twice their design specifications. And yet, as of last Friday, the NRC said, after having examined one of the plants, not both of them, said, oh, they're fine, let's bring them back online. What's your take on that? What kind of insights can you provide us on, on that decision? I doubt whether they looked at the uh, change in the concrete strength and the effect on the um, the resonance of how the world building behaves. Uh, I doubt it very much. The other thing, um, North Anna, I believe, is a Westinghouse unit. It's a pressurized water reactor. Um, what effect does it have on moving the rods up and down, uh, the control rods inside the containment 
if if there's been a shaking, if there's been an obstruction, uh, it is a problem with uh, General Electric reactors where the control rods come in from the bottom. Um, I really don't know, but it I, it's something that uh, should be examined. Well, Ernie, what I'd like to do now is I know we have some callers on the line. If anyone has a question uh, for Ernie Goyden to take and take advantage of um, his background in mechanical engineering and physics and his understanding of how nuclear reactors operate, now would be the time to ask the question. Anybody up for it? Well, if nobody has a question for Ernie, I have one more, and that is, given that you were exposed to information about the Indian tribes and then about the other dangers and damages that happen from nuclear radiation and from the, from the industry to the point where you realized you could not continue, what in your estimation, do you think it will take to provide a similar awakening for the commissioners on the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and uh, the people in Congress and elsewhere who think that nuclear energy is a really spiffy thing and we should keep going with it? Um, well, I think the spiffy thing, um, I think there's a connection between the weapons industry and the power plant industry. The nuclear power plant industry is already complaining that they do not have uh, sufficient uh, new talent to design and operate the plants because young people aren't particularly interested in that field anymore. Um, and so, so uh, they have to uh, go out and advertise and provide the scholarships at universities to uh, entice people to go into that field. Uh, the nuclear weapons component also is dependent upon uh, people that are interested in, in, in working in a nuclear field. So there is an interconnection between the two. Uh, right now, the brightest and the best are probably those from the nuclear Navy who, are, who um, do get an excellent training as far as people I've met. Um, I think the cost is another item. Uh, the amount of subsidies that the government is trying to push down um, the throat of the of the public uh, to support or to subsidize nuclear power is huge. If that same amount of money were spent on renewable energy. Um, the problem would be solved. Mm -hmm. But the interest is not so much in solving the problems as to stay in an, on a nuclear field. Well, Ernie, I know that there is so much more information that you could share with us. I first of all want to thank you for being on the podcast today and invite you back at some future date not too far away to continue because... Um, it's like it's like having our own California-based Arnie Gunderson here in getting this information for you with the clarity and the specificity of it. So I hope you will agree to come back and be on the program again. Surely. Terrific. Thank you so much. By the way, it's very Pardon? Important. 
Thank you for doing this whole program. It's very informative, and I'm glad to be part of it. Thank you. Well, you're invited to stick uh, stick with this because I do have a bit more news. I always include a holistic healing piece of information and uh, some activist information as well. So feel free to um, stick around and be part of the listening audience right now. Okay. Okay. So moving forward, looking at Japan, I mean, the radiation news is bad across just across the board. So I'm not going to go into specifics on that, but just a few perspectives on what is going on over there. That um, there was recently, according to the New York Times, there was a media trip out there for reporters to be brought in to take a look at the uh, nuclear reactors, but they were not allowed to leave the bus even though they were wearing full containment suits. According to CNN, the radiation reading stood at 1,000 microsieverts around the reactors. And uh, the government discouraged women from attending for health reasons, it said. And they said because there are no women's loos, meaning bathrooms, at the plant. Of course, it may have had something to do with women come complete with their uteruses and their reproductive vulnerabilities and uh, are much more likely to be uh, rapidly damaged by radiation, um, uh, possibly even more rapidly than men. For whatever reason, they wanted women not on that uh, particular trip. Um, I'm not sure if this is the same trip or a separate one. It was dated yesterday, but from uh, a Japanese news service, they said that the bus passed the reactors, but when the dosimeters were showing 300 microsieverts per hour, meaning they were spiking, uh, they were asked to put their cameras down, were not allowed to take any pictures of the radioactive, the, the monitors showing what the radio, radioactivity was. Um, also related to the radiation around Fukushima, a reporter from Shukan Asahi, one of the Japanese publications, said that he heard ambulances come to the Fukushima plant at least 10 times a day. He had been invited to go to the site by an actual Fukushima worker. Uh, this is according to the wonderful site Fukushima Diary, and uh, Mokizuki is uh, reporting just on, quote-unquote, the anecdotal stories coming out of Japan, meaning what real people are saying that isn't being picked up by the major media. At a press conference in Japan, a reporter, uh, Oshidoro Mako, asked a TEPCO representative, quote, when TEPCO purifies contaminated water, a reverse osmosis membrane is used. But strontium is water-soluble, so you need ion exchange filtration or coagulating sedimentation to remove it from the contaminated water. How do you filter strontium out? And the TEPCO representative, Matsumoto, answered, When the equipment of Arriva was working, we used coagulating sedimentation to filter out strontium. However, now that Arriva's equipment is out of order, strontium is not being filtered out. And the reporter came back, I understand that water is not leaked into the sea now, but when water was leaking into the sea from reactor two, how did you filter out the strontium? And again, Matsumoto replied, no, we haven't filtered out strontium. Strontium must have leaked into the sea. Oh, so reassuring in their competence. Now, here is a move of stunning desperation. The Japanese government is offering foreigners 10,000 free round-trip tickets to Japan. Yes, you too can go for an all-expense-paid transport to Japan, though you will have to pay for your own uh, housing and food. And, of course, as we've learned from the uh, motocross group several months ago, uh, you're not allowed to bring your own food into Japan. You have to eat what they provide for you. This is called a tourism campaign, 
And uh, the proviso is that if you take one of these tickets, you will then have to write something fabulous on predetermined websites. You must publicize your trip on blogs and social media sites. I can just see what I would write if they could get me there, which is not going to happen. Now, the agency, which is putting this together, has requested more than a billion yen to pay for this tourism blitz. But, of course, the government can't find the money to evacuate the children from Fukushima. Bring foreigners in, yes. Take children out, no. And in one of the most truly insane acts to come out of Japan yet, in just a place where sanity does not seem to be ruling, last Sunday there was a marathon race held in Fukushima City. That's right, 26.2 miles run out in an area that is already toxic by radiation, and even worse, it was teenage runners who were attracted to this. Now, the radiation level in the area was as high as was in the mandatory evacuation area in Chernobyl. Thousands of people called the administrators to stop the race, but they started it anyway. The runners were mostly teenagers, but they did range from age 13 to 31. They were from various prefectures. And in order to participate in the race, they made the girls, these were all girls, by the way, they made the girls sign a contract that says, quote, even if I have health problems from this race, I will not sue the promoter, meaning the Japanese government. At the time that they were running, the reading was 1.41 microsieverts per hour in front of the Fukushima race course, which is shut down to prevent racehorses from being irradiated. So they're saving the horses, but they're sacrificing their children. And this has got to be the Numb Nuts Award. I, I, this, this really goes beyond all. This is from India. And that is that the chairman of the Indian Atomic Energy Commission, uh, Sri Kumar Banerjee, said last Thursday that the probability of an accident due to a nuclear plant is one in infinity. And all atomic power plants in India conform to safety standards. He pointed out, this is his, these were his perspectives, um, Mr. Banerjee. He pointed out that no human activity can be risk-free, and he said there was a definite need for creating awareness and programs to be that could be intensified to convince people in the neighborhood of a proposed or existing nuclear plant. Ref now, this is the really nutso part. Referring to the recent Fukushima nuclear accident, Dr. Banerjee said it happened after a gap of 25 years, meaning since Chernobyl, and the cause and effect of the accident was earthquake followed by tsunami. Quote, it was not a nuclear accident. End quote. Unbelievable. Uh, and he continued to state that uh, the spread of radiation was not as high as it was projected and that he had confidence that all nuclear plants in his country are safe. That goes beyond numbnuts into liar, liar, pants on fire. And that is one of the officials over in India. Now, I always like to um, post some links, and there are uh, several that are up on the Nuclear Hot Seat um, site that is on Facebook. I have been having some trouble with the website. Um, somehow I got locked out of it, and my tech guy is still trying to find a way back in. But the Facebook site is doing just fine. And here are some sites that I have. First of all, uh, there's another 
uh, audio up with uh, Arnie Gunderson being interviewed by Dr. Caldecott when giants get together and speak. I have a link to that directly up on Nuclear Hot Seat, but I really suggest that everyone subscribe to the updates that come from fairwinds.com, Arnie Gunderson's site. That's F like in Frank, A-I-R-E-W-I-N-D-S.com. And there you will get all the information as soon as it comes out, sometimes before it's even generally out um, in the online community. You will get the update. There is a really important article that's too long to go into here called Fukushima They Knew, meaning about the fact that the reactor was um, was probably going to fail utterly in an earthquake. Uh, the link is there. This is from freepress.org. The writer is Greg Pallast. And uh, it goes on for a while, but it talks about uh, the engineers knowing, even back in 1986, that there were problems with the design of the reactor. And uh, in our activist link this week, it's a little long to go into to, to be able to spell it out here, but um, to all the German folks or anybody who knows anybody in Germany or knows German, there is a protest and a petition against a planned nuclear plant in Poland. Uh, they're taking signatures until January 4th, and like I said, the, the entire uh, website is uh, too long for me to be listing here, but I can. Um, but that is up already on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page, so please go there and get the information. Now, I always like to include holistic healing information, and as someone who watches the alternative health and holistic healing community pretty closely, it's very exciting to see that um, radiation-based issues are making their way into some of the uh, more important thinkers in that community, and they're coming out with um, more and more suggestions from their own research. Um, It has been found that DNA protection uh, can be created by including plant flavonoids in your diet. Among the plants that have been found to be effective are, or the herbs from them, the extracts from them, are ginger, garlic, ginkgo biloba, curcumin, which is turmeric extract, quercetin, my God, my vocabulary is being stretched. This is found in fruits, vegetables, leaves, and grains, and punicaligans extracted from pomegranates. Just say pomegranate juice. Now, alpha-lipoic acid was found to actually reverse some effects of radiation damage in Chernobyl and returning levels of oxidized protein compounds in the body caused by radiation exposure to go back to normal levels and in some cases be better than normal. Reservatrol, a compound most commonly associated with red wine, is also a very potent radioprotectant and hesperidin was found to be especially protective of bone marrow, which is the body's blood-forming organ. The above-mentioned plant flavonoids were found to be much more protective against radiation damage than vitamin C and E. Now, again, on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook group page, there is a link to a video interview that covers all this information. It was done by Michelle Hill of Rents Radio, which is put together by Jeff Rents, and it is an interview with Dr. Russell Blaylock, who is one of, one of the cutting-edge thinkers in the alternative healing community. So that's uh, some good information for you. Now, as a final thought before we go into the close, uh, there was a very powerful speech given by a former resident of Fukushima. Uh, She brought an anti-nuclear message to the gates of the Vermont Yankee 
nuclear reactor up in Vermont, which they are trying, the state wants to shut down. And uh, it's currently in the courts trying to get decided whether the state has the right to say we don't want this operating in the state or whether the power company has the right to say, no, we're going to put it here and you can't stop us. So this former resident of Fukushima, Kaiko Kokubun, delivered the speech from which this piece is excerpted. She spoke on October 30th at an anti-nuclear rally at the gates of the Energy Nuclear Vermont Yankee plant. Uh, she hails from Koryama City, which is in central Fukushima, and she has lived in Salisbury, which I believe is in Vermont, for over six years. She said, Today I want to start with encouraging news. About ten days ago, that would put it in October 20th, the Fukushima legislature adopted a resolution to abolish all ten nuclear reactors in the prefecture. Yes, ten. You may be surprised that it took us this long to get to this point. But this is the very first time a hosting local government has made such a decision in Japan. And this started with a petition submitted by a citizens group after the accident. It is clear that this resolution has become a reality on account of the unbearable sadness and suffering the people of Fukushima have endured for the last seven months. If it takes such a catastrophe for us to be able to shut down nuclear power plants, let that, this be the very last one for all of us, end quote. The point here being, activism works. No step is too small. Nothing we do is insignificant. It all counts. It all builds. And it is the only thing that will get us to a nuclear-free future. So whatever action is in front of you, if you're feeling fear, take that fear, grab onto the energy, and turn it into activism. It's what keeps us going, and it's what's going to turn this around. So doing the nuclear math, this is day 249 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors in Japan, meaning if you multiply 249 by 3, we have had 747 nuclear leakage days since Fukushima began. That means we're over two years of radiation leakage if it was all coming from one reactor, and it is not yet over. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, November 15, 2011. As I've said before, you can find links to previous programs and this one by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. Hopefully my tech guy can get the website problem straightened out and I'll be able to update the nuclearhotseat.com or recreate the site. We are also, for this podcast, available on iTunes for free. You can subscribe and then you get the information in your inbox every Tuesday so you don't need to miss a single update. And for any of you, if you have a lead to a story or information to divulge, please send me a message on Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat page, and I will get back to you. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, don't go back to sleep. Be well, be safe, and I'll speak with you again next Tuesday. Bye-bye.